I think my preferred solution is to wake up and find this all be a dream. In this episode, we talk about Brexit and how it impacts scientists and the scientific endeavor. For this purpose, Bart, my co-host, and I have invited scientists from both sides of the canal to talk about their personal experience and insights. As a quick disclaimer, yes, this episode is substantially longer than you're used. This is because while the podcast usually focuses on the scientific endeavor, our guests clearly wanted to talk more about the politics and their personal situation and feelings about Brexit. When editing this episode, I wanted this to be reflected as well, so I decided to give these parts more space. You can listen to the full conversation on Patreon, www.patreon.com slash sci4progress, where it is available for patrons. And as always, you can read the summary in the show notes on our website, www.scienceforprogress.eu. My name is Dennis Eckmeyer. And you're listening to episode 24 of the Science for Societal Progress podcast. Let me start with a quick intro. The EU is a union of sovereign countries that came together to orchestrate laws and regulations. The declared goal is to promote peace, to offer freedom, security and justice, to create sustainable development, to combat social exclusion and discrimination, enhance cohesion and solidarity among member states, to respect cultural diversity, to establish an economic and monetary union, and most important for us today, to promote scientific and technological progress. In order to achieve all these goals, the European Union has established several institutions that I'm not going into here. The most important thing for us are the research programs that are renewed every seven years. For the current one, Horizon 2020, the EU spent nearly 80 billion euros that are provided by the member states. And the money goes into the funding and promotion of research across the European Union. And the second extremely important part of the EU for science is the Schengen Agreement. It allows citizens of the member states to freely travel, work and live anywhere within the Schengen area. In 2016, the citizens of the UK voted in a referendum to leave the European Union. This means that all of these benefits from 40 years of pan-European negotiations are lost and have to be negotiated anew. What are the consequences for science in the UK and in the rest of the European Union? Hi, so I'm Andy Philippides. Um, I'm Professor of Biorobotics at the University of Sussex. Andrew is a UK citizen working in the UK. Yeah, hi, I'm Thomas Novotny and I'm a Professor of Informatics at the University of Sussex as well. Thomas is a German citizen working in the UK. I'm a PhD student um, originally from Britain. This is Claire Hancock. Now uh, getting my PhD uh, here in Göttingen in Germany. Um, yeah, two and a half years in at the moment. Claire unfortunately joined us late in the conversation because of technical issues. And with us, of course, is Bart. As always. Hello, Bart. Hello. I'm for once not tired while we record this podcast. Because we're recording an hour earlier? 
And I'm at the moment at the Technical University of Munich playing with rattlesnakes. So that's nice. fun all day long. That's great fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're like the most aggressive animals I've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> no shit. If you if you come close to their cages, they make they don't pretend. They really, really hate you and want to kill you. That's good. That's nice. Well that's what the cage is for, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. So, like my host, uh, Tobias Kohl, who is a postdoc here and um, is interested in the infrared sensing of snakes, told me not to play with my hand too close to one of the grids because he wouldn't know if uh, the snakes can actually go through there. And I can really say my heart stopped in that second. <laughs> it was the biggest laugh for him in like the whole day. Like, I nearly pissed myself. Like, they can do what? <laughs> good lord yeah, but it's great fun like the animals are super scary but quite beautiful and their behavior is enormously interesting anyhow back to the back where shall we start where shall we start yeah so maybe we just start with the official things European Union grants uh, are you on European Union grants? What what will change when when those go away? So maybe I can start. Uh, we are part of the Human Brain Project. So that's the uh, big 1 billion flagship uh, that promised to build technology around simulating human brains. And uh, very concretely, I don't know what's going to happen with that funding. There's been all this talk about underwriting existing commitments and so on, and I think that will happen. So if there was a Brexit uh, tomorrow, then uh, the Treasury of the United Kingdom would pay the money for the existing grants. But there is also a new funding phase from 2020, and I fully expect that that wouldn't be part of that underwriting. And so we have no idea whether we can participate or not. Just to give a perspective, maybe, uh, what it means. And currently, we have one postdoc on this and um, are actively involved in the whole project. And that person, uh, I guess, would have to go. Unless unless there is some sort of other arrangement where we can still participate. Yeah. How much of your total funding would come out of the EU funding block? Yeah, I mean, it's it's not been... Uh, extremely huge for me personally. I mean, this is this one postdoc the, um, position that I've had for the last uh, maybe five years or so, which is a nice, you know, good amount of funding. But we have other projects with two, three postdocs on. Um, so it's hard to put the direct number on. I guess it's maybe something like 20% of the current funding of the last years. But that would be a substantial blow, wouldn't it? Of course, yeah. And also kind of just the, the personal perspective that I have to say to Gary, uh, Gary, sorry, you know, you have to go isn't isn't funny, right? I had one, I was on one big EU project, um, which finished a few years ago now, and I haven't had much since. Um, I think it's going to be much more significant for those people who've got um, the fellowships because they are, you know, they are buying you out for the whole of your time. And so there'll be certain people who would be absolutely catastrophic for. Mm. Um, for me personally, currently now it wouldn't have much of an effect, but for the department it would be a, it would be terrible. Yeah, we have people on ERC fellowships, uh, like these uh, yep. big advanced grants and all of that. That would be bad. I don't know if we do yet have 
clarification on whether uh, whether these grants will disappear or whether there will be, um, as in Switzerland, the Swiss pay in and uh, are allowed access to the to the funding. It seems to have been one of the least. Uh, well, it seems to have not been debated at all, and I think there's a high, quite a high probability that that would carry on. Yeah, I think they've been kicking the the can down the road and have always said, "Oh yeah, we underwrite what's happening right now, and then we'll talk about it." So we, uh, I don't think we really know, but it's quite possible that Andy says is right, and they will realize that it's really important, and all the science uh, societies and uh, organizations of universities and who not, they're all pressuring the government very hard to do it, that we have some sort of solution like the Swiss model, for example, where we can participate in some way or another uh, and, and continue this kind of success story. Because the UK was a net gainer from the whole thing. It's subject to the negotiation, no? We get the transition period, two years of negotiation, and then they will decide these issues. For the two-year transition while they make the deal, I think they would underwrite the funding because largely, typically the funding's committed in advance anyway, so it's kind of gone. We have to register our existing grants with the Treasury so they know what they have to pay in case there's Brexit tomorrow. So it's all that's all set up. I, I have no uh, doubts that for the two-year transition period, everything will continue as normal and the decisions will then be made for whatever is afterwards. Um, what I can imagine, which would be problematic for some people, would be that during this period or for the first few months of this period, however long, people wouldn't be allowed to go on grants. So I had a situation where we were in the process of submitting a grant and there was um, something happened in Switzerland and for a period of about three weeks, Swiss institutions weren't allowed to be on grants and for us it was it was really problematic because in those three weeks was when we had to submit and um and so we couldn't submit for that particular call oh, um you know and it, that was just very fortunate um but I think that you know the university doesn't go under at that point if it then ended up that we would didn't have access to EU money that would be very bad for science generally getting but, done. But let's also talk about psychology here. No? I mean, it's not only whether you're allowed to be on projects, are you going to be invited? And that, I think, is already played out, that now people think twice whether they want to invite a UK partner onto a European uh, uh, flagship or whatever, like a long-term effort, because they don't know what's going to happen. So, yeah, I mean, we yeah. can be on, and until now we can bid and we can be the leader of it and all of it, uh, but people are getting reluctant, I feel, to include UK partners because they say, oh, mm, uh, who knows, these guys, they might drop off in the middle and then what do we do? It's a big risk and all, yeah. all of that. Uh, and personally, I actually haven't had it yet that I could actually put the finger on it and say, oh, yeah, no, I wasn't on this because people didn't want me or so. I can't actually say that has been the case. But others have reported it. The other big issue for scientists is that our community is international. Moving between countries is encouraged as career-promoting. Accordingly, and as Thomas and Claire exemplify, scientists make use of the free movement agreement within the European Union a lot. I mean, what would it mean 
if you can't really travel to Europe anymore? So there's uh, there's a lot to be said about this. <laughs> and I followed this quite closely. And during the referendum time, it was quite funny to see that lots of people were arguing it would all be asymmetric. You could stop people from Europe coming to the UK, but people from the UK would be able to do everything, absolutely no problem. Uh, even live in the EU and so on. So it was quite quite uh, shocking to see. Now, since then, I think things have moved on a lot through many, many different stages. But the final result by now has actually been that in terms of traveling, I think the agreement's been that everyone can do everything as it was, by, even with a no-deal Brexit. So to travel to Germany or you know, Germans to come here to travel, no problem at all. And not a big surprise, they want the tourists, right? And, and all of that. For work, it becomes different, right? And then it becomes interesting. So yeah, I'm, everything we can tell, uh, they want to end free movement for work purposes. And that would mean if we want to employ someone from the European Union in the UK, they would need a visa. And the other way around as well. UK people in the EU would need a visa if they want to work. But that would be very and, asymmetric in a way because... Even so, it would be bad for European labs to not have UK scientists in here. You lose a lot of lot more diversity in your labs, won't you? Oh, yeah, absolutely. That's what they wanted, right? This is one of the goals. It's not one of the drawbacks in the minds of a Brexiteer. Uh, we obviously disagree. You no, know, for us, it's a real drawback. I think we we do we have to be slightly careful in that we uh, we don't really understand the minds of the Brexiteers, and um, <laughs> so people have generally been without going to uh, my standpoint is people have generally been misinformed and lied to. Some people do understand and don't care um, because they're rich or whatever, but I, I don't really understand what's going on because it's just patently you know shooting yourself in the foot but let's leave that there but i think that you know okay. this is obviously a bad thing um and i think the universities as a whole sector have come out and said you know this is obviously a bad thing um and i, I don't really know what what we would do about it so for you personally thomas would this uh would this change anything for you Well, um, so that there has already been an agreement, and again, this is even for no deal Brexit, um, where people who are already there can stay, and uh, all I have to do is a little bit of bureaucracy. I have to register for a settled status, something I haven't done yet, but I have to do uh, until end of 2020. And if I do that, and there was a bit of paperwork, then everything stays the same pretty much. Actually, I wasn't completely accurate. And one thing that is changing, even with the settled status and everything, is that if I leave the UK for two years, I can't come back. And there has been a slightly underreported thing as well, is that whilst these things were ongoing, um, there are other ways that you can get, um, you can apply for indefinite leave to remain, you can apply for different things. Um, and I don't know how much it's been reported, but um, there's been a, a hostile environment set up by the Home Office to essentially deter international people from, from registering and, and getting visas here. And I do know in one case of a very um, prominent um, professor who um, was uh, denied his um, leave to remain with no right to appeal because 
the photo that when he went down to the office, the fo- they picked out a photo for him. And then when he put that photo in, they said they rejected the photo and said he had no right to appeal. And he was very, very annoyed about this and was thinking of leaving because of that. And this is because there's these two things coming together. There's this kind of, they've made it really horrible for international people and in some terrible, terrible cases that have been exposed. And, but this going through, I think this is really added into the, into the issues. And Thomas, you try, you got some, did you go through a citizenship test? No, I didn't do the citizenship test. I, what I got at the moment is uh, <clears throat> I am um, – let me get the terms right. Uh, I have a um, certificate of permanent residency in the UK. And that's something that's an EU construct, which everyone who lives in a different EU state can apply for these certificates. And it's something you get after you've been living in one of the EU states that is not the state of your nationality for five years. Okay. You can get this kind of certificate. And I did that, which was a lot of paperwork actually at the time. Um, will not Now it will be replaced by the settled status. Uh, okay. which is, and you didn't you know, have to do any tests? More paperwork. I didn't have to do a test for that. No, but it includes this, this ridiculous uh, document yeah. where you have to enter all your absences from the UK. Where you say, oh, I flew to that conference and then I came back. And then for, for I think 10 years back or something, I can't remember. It was not fun. Well, a friend of mine has had to, who's been here since the last 25 years um, and working in the local council and and uh, various things ever since. Um, she did one of the tests. I, I can't remember oh. which one, the lower bar test, um, mm-hmm. which was just ridiculous. Did she pass? She did pass just about, yeah. Yeah. With questions that none of us could answer. Ah, I've done some practice tests on the on the web. I have a kind of fifty percent success rate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyway, after after twelve years here, yeah. what is Claire's situation as a Brit in Germany? So, I mean, as far as I understand now, I'm safe because I've got my working contract in place. I've got everything um, set until at least I think the end of 2020. Um, my contract is. Um, still valid um but after that i mean it depends on my working status i guess i guess if i apply for for example a postdoc in germany i guess it'll be a very different process in a couple of years time than it would have been uh, when i first came um exactly what that means i still don't really know i don't think anyone really knows at the moment um so, but do you know but, uh, we were just discussing that uh, within the uk they have this idea of this settled status did the germans set something up like that i, I actually not aware so i'm i'm also not aware of anything um they did. on the german side yeah so i think they said that uh, that at least for the period that the brexit is still negotiated all people that came from britain can actually stay in germany and that after the negotiation, they will at least find some other solution so that you don't have to leave. Okay. Yeah, I also saw that there was some idea floating around. I don't know how concrete it is, but the idea that after Brexit, if you already are living in an EU country, then you have some right to remain there, but you only are allowed to stay in that country. You can't then freely move around the EU. So if you're currently living in Germany... You can stay in Germany, but you won't have the same rights if you try to go to a different European right. country. 
Um, but I don't, I don't think that's, See, that's anything that's been set in place. It's just another of these ideas that's floating around. Yeah, I heard about that. So, so this is where it's then the other way around, where being 27 against one is a disadvantage. Mm. Because UK citizens lose all the rights in the other 26 if they happen to have settled in one of the 27. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's not ideal, is it? I mean, it, it was such a nice... Nice situation. When I came to UK, I I kind of felt like I was moving to Europe. Okay, I should say I, I worked in the uh, California before, and I'm just like, oh yeah, I'm moving back to Europe, and I'm going to settle somewhere there. And it didn't really matter. And ever since this referendum, I need to actually think again completely differently of that. It does matter. I can't just live in Brighton within Europe. No, I'm living in in England. Yeah, so. A PhD usually doesn't end when it's supposed to end or when you planned it. How how do you feel about that, Claire, if you if you think about like maybe needing an extension and maybe not having the funding? I mean, in my case, so my specific funding, I think these things are already considered. So there's already a kind of clause that says I can have so my original contract is for three years, for example, for the PhD. Uh, and it's already kind of assumed that you would take at least three and a half years and maybe four. So this is already, right. the funding is already aside uh, for me for up to four years. Um, yeah, so in, in terms of that, I'm safe, but ad additional funding, like going to conferences, I'm, I'm not sure how how that's going to work. And yeah, I mean, there's often also this extra um, contracted period after the PhD finishes to wrap things up, to write the manuscript. And yeah, this is also a separate contract, a separate everything. So it's dealt with a lot differently, I guess. But can I, can I ask you this, Claire? I mean, um, how, is it that you actually worry about these things since, since Brexit has happened and that you look into it and what's the detail and, and how does it actually work? I mean, for myself... I feel safe, at least in terms of staying in Germany for what I need to do. Um, it's more like a, a social worry for me about, you know, my country. Mm. <laughs> and it, it, I, yeah, I remember when the results of the vote first came out, it's just, it was really devastating just what it means for the country and the values of the majority of Britain is in that way, it's scary. And then, of course, now all of the logistics of these tiny things, the health insurance when you're traveling, the car insurance, the visas, the extra money that you have to pay to travel, all of these things that it seems like no one really thought about beforehand. Um, so, yeah, the uncertainty more than anything. Mm. Yeah, one of my worries has been that um, they're all talking about a bit of your know, taxes and is it going to get more expensive? Is it going to be this? Is it going to be that? Um, but we had the introduction at the beginning, no? and, and the, the European Union was a peace project uh, originally and not about trade, and they completely lost that plot, completely. There's no one's even talking about it. And I find that quite worrying and uh, and upsetting, to be honest. Yeah, that would be the next question. So um, we... we uh... We touched on a couple of things, but um, in general, what are your most, uh, what are your feelings about this in general? Personally, I also I was very disappointed um, and felt a real psychological impact in terms of feeling welcome or not. Um, it, it's just a statement. Obviously, there's forty eight percent of the people vote one way, fifty two percent the other way, and not everyone's the same, and so on and so on. Within the university, eighty percent or so 
Bafour remain. So in that perspective, it's all fine, but you still feel less welcome if there is a real reason to believe that uh, people have voted the way they voted for Brexit because they didn't want European citizens here. Because that includes me, yeah. So it, I was from the beginning quite disappointed, and that has not lessened with the whole incessant discussion about this and that, and should we be bargaining chips or not, and uh, should they be allowed to stay, and how, and when, and how much. Uh, that has that's been quite enervating and, and really not a, a happy time that way. I must say, it is a much less welcoming place. Even though, again, personally, no one has said anything to me. Even though I just learned from a colleague, uh, he's Italian, that he was shouted at in a bus in London once, like after the referendum, we don't want you here, which definitely wasn't a good experience for him. Yeah, that's awful. But it's in the background, no? So you, you kind of think about it and uh, you would want to live in a place where most people are okay with you being there. No, you don't want to have this under underlying feeling that ah, maybe maybe I should move because I'm not welcome here. Right. And I heard that a couple of times, actually, that uh, also German people were shouted at, not just uh, Italians, Italians or yeah. other people from... I think uh, there's a lot of um, ressentiment against uh, the Eastern uh, countries. That's what you hear, right, in the news. It, uh, it is so difficult. I'm sure there is, and I'm. Uh, I think there would have been a lot anyway. Um, it, it is tricky because one sees it through the lens mm -hmm. of Brexit, um, and whether these incidents would have happened anyway. Um, you know, we also see, you know, the big march which had an awful lot of people and was very positive. It's very tricky because it's it's also so regionally divided. And um, divided on levels of education, age, it, it's a very depressing situation, um, and not least of which is it exposes both the the media for how easy they are able to manipulate and they are able to be manipulated, and how kind of ineffective our politicians are, both on the left and the right, really. So I heard an interview with a German law professor and he said that this is like one of the few examples where you can see how two different opinion building processes actually clash. You have this uncompromising vote on the one hand and these basically helpless politicians who have to find a compromise on an uncompromising yeah. vote. You know, the, the worst thing about this whole process was that it was, you know, it wasn't instigated for for reasons to give people a choice it was instigated to for a purely political thing for david cameron to get control of his party you know and that's that's why it was such a shambolic process and you know it's you know, appalling we're in this mess um having done no governing and for the last two years um because of just some whim so, Claire, I'm pretty sure you talked with your peers in Germany about Brexit. What uh, is your experience? Mostly confusion. <laughs> I think I think I and most people that I, I've spoken to just don't understand why we've gotten ourselves into this mess. I mean, it's like like Andy was saying, I don't think David Cameron thought this was ever going to pass. I think it was it was a tactic on his half to 
just quiet what he thought was a small majority in the Tory party who were vote, who wanted um, to leave Europe. He thought, okay, we'll have a referendum, we'll shut these people up and we'll carry on. And that it's just spiralled into all of this is ridiculous. And yeah, I'm, I struggle to find any pros. And I think especially other Europeans, it's ridiculous. It's a ridiculous concept to say, no, we can do better off without all of these other 27 countries by our sides. I think it's... No, it's completely foolish. I think that there may be one pro. Uh, <laughs> oh, come on. That's it. Uh, but not not for us. So I think that <laughs> it has surely made um, other people's, uh, Italy, for instance, and threats to leave uh, have receded, right? Other people saying, yeah, we're yeah. going to leave too. And people like you know, Greece say, we're going to leave. Those people have gone, yeah, maybe we'll, <laughs> we'll stay in because it looks like it's a real pain. Um, and yeah, as being the test case for quite how bad it's going to be, I, I think that, yeah, that's maybe maybe something. Well, if you believe what the Daily Mail tells us, which, you know, we shouldn't, but this is, they're making an example of us, right? They want to make it as bad as for us as possible, those Europeans, so that then everyone else is discouraged because look at us, we're a mess. Europe yeah, is so much but, better. Uh, yeah, it's true, but then they're, they're idiot. I mean, I think the other governments are probably looking at it. There have been certainly less noises about Greece. I think the other thing, it, it potentially, I would I would be very interested in years to come to see if it is investigated. Quite how much interference there was in the um, in the referendum process. I mean, we're we are now at the case where uh, at the point where the vote leave campaign have essentially admitted wrongdoing in electoral spending. Uh, absolutely, I, I still can't believe that after there was an investigation and they found that there was unlawful conduct on the Leave campaign side and it still stands. And I've been looking, I've been researching this like crazy because I just can't get my head around the fact that this is okay. But I think the reason it is, is because it's a referendum. If it were a general election, there are laws in place Mm. that then you can say there was fraudulent spending on one party's behalf. And so then we redo the election, it's nullified. But with a a referendum, because it's not legally binding, it's advisory. So there aren't those legal practices in place if there is something like this happening. And uh, I can't believe it for something that's so important for such a huge decision, such a huge referendum that that there, there aren't processes in place to hold people accountable it, it was illegal i mean yeah. it's it's baffling to it, me. Is, it is astonishing it is astonishing so at least from my practical point of view brexit doesn't seem to be a huge success story so far yeah. to say the very least why yeah. don't i why don't i just stop it as like theresa may and say like well we did a lot of different things but let's say that's just a advisory referendum and we just don't do it well they have talked themselves into the situation where that's suddenly a betrayal of uh, democracy where you have to take it seriously because it was a vote that the people take part in it was a big turnout the biggest one in, in british history so if we ignore that then we're kind of damaging democracy that's the that's the storyline but would it damage british democracy Realistically, I don't think it would. It would. I mean, the you know, the obvious answer is that look, you were, didn't know what you were voting for. There was various different things. So all you have to do is have a confirmatory vote, and that's what 
people are going for this people's vote campaign is that, you know, we get told what deal it is. And then we have a vote on, do we want this deal or stay in? Right. Um, and that seems to me purely democratic. You know, the, there is a line, I can't remember who was saying it, is that, that this is actually the, if there was another referendum, it would be the third vote on being in the EU because there was also one in the 70s. Um, so not- this idea that you can't have multiple votes on things is, is just nonsense. It's just, it is just rhetoric that is put out. Um, I think there'll be people who will be upset um, and people are upset the other way. Uh, but, you know, I don't think it'll be anywhere near the numbers of people. And I think, uh, I can't remember what the latest polling is, but there certainly is a majority in favour of having a, a, a second vote. Oh, certainly. Which is completely ignored, right? Yes. There was also this nice petition, though, that had six million signatories. Yeah, to revoke. To yeah. revoke Article 50. Um, so there are strong opinions still also on the other side, not only in the Brexiteer camp. No, um, exactly. If I can just add to what Andy said in terms of uh, being non-democratic or destroying democracy, I I don't see how uh, if it's only a a vote that is not supposed to be binding, uh, and if there is another vote overturning it, like another referendum, I don't see how that's not democratic. I mean, yeah, I agree. There, there doesn't seem to be anything in in democracy where you know. Um, and as the line goes, uh, Theresa May has brought her vote back multiple times. <laughs> Keeps asking the same question. So why can't we have another go? You know, it should. If if it is genuinely, I don't understand. You know, if it's genuinely this thing that that still the majority of people, it's not overturning the majority will of the people. If the majority will of the people have changed their minds, you know, shortly we're allowed to change our mind. If it comes out, you know, you know, if it comes out Brexit again, then well, you know. We're still a bunch of idiots, right? But how could it be? Un- how could it be undemocratic to have a vote? Uh, just beyond me. How do you feel about that, Claire? I would be definitely in favour of another referendum. I think the undermining democracy argument is. I mean, the logical response is that democracy was undermined when there was meddling during the last referendum. The under undemocratic activities have already happened. The last vote was. A joke. Um, so that argument, I think, is completely, completely nonsense. I, yeah, I don't buy it. I think if it's still the will of the people, then put it to a vote, and we'll see it. Would that be your preferred solution? I mean, I'm the best of a bad bunch, I guess. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I can't see many other ways of going around this. There's, there's. It's so polarizing that it, you have another referendum and put it to bed. And if it's Brexit, then it's Brexit. If it's not Brexit, then good. <laughs> I think my preferred solution is to wake up and find this all be a dream, a la Dallas in the eighties. Uh, but um, I think the, the I think the with the disc, I think it's the most likely thing because of. Um, how Labour, if Labour are now talking to Conservatives, it is the most likely condition that they can attach to agreeing a customs union deal or whatever deal they agree, is that we'll agree this, but you have to have a confirmatory referendum. Claire, as the youngest Brit (laughs) in this conversation, do you actually feel pushed into the situation by an older generation? Um, For sure. I mean... 
I, I don't know the numbers offhand, but I think, I mean, the 18 to 25 age range, I would imagine a huge majority voted to remain. And if you look at the over 60s, the opposite is true. Um, and there is something a bit bitter about the fact that a lot of the people who voted to leave the European Union, <laughs> I think I read a number that a million people who voted to leave have died in the last two years <laughs> because of the age. And on the other end of the spectrum, thousands of other um, people have now aged up to 18 and now could vote. And it's when it's the result is so dependent on age range, it's, no, it's, it's always going to be a bit bitter. But yeah, it, it definitely feels if you speak to the older generation, I mean, my own grandparents have completely different attitudes to me towards Europe and towards Germany. Um, but I don't know, I try to be sympathetic and hear everyone's side, but at a certain point you just, you get a bit annoyed, I think. <laughs> Especially, you know, as a younger person working in Europe, wanting to travel. Um, yeah, it's... It's a bit bittersweet. Not, no, just bitter. Not bittersweet. <laughs> There's no sweetness left. What do you think? I also heard that um, there was a little bit of finger pointing towards the young people after the referendum, saying that uh, a lot of them didn't go vote when they could yeah. have. No, they didn't. They didn't. And 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 there there has been. If there's one good thing, there will be a. There's been a more of a mobilization towards that, and it will will happen if it gets again. But yeah, there was. If a few more of people had, had done that, you know, no one realised how serious it was, I think. Um, and the other thing, you know, it's also really exposed the, the, you know, different areas of the country, you know, in very polarising ways that certain places uh, have very different attitudes to certain other places, um, uh, as well as different age ranges, which is kind of, it's quite a sad thing, really. So, um, where in the UK do you two come from? You're both English or from somewhere uh, else? I'm English, yeah. yeah. I'm actually from um, close to Brighton. I started at Sussex um, before I came here. So, yeah, southeast. Um, I'm not, so I'm Welsh. Um, and uh, Wales, I'm from uh, northwest Wales, a place called Anglesey. I mean, Wales as a whole was voted leave slightly less so i think it's like maybe 51 to 49 something like that and it was kind of ironic because wales is quite poor in, in various regions particularly in south wales um and uh had quite a lot of eu money on anglesey itself you get the ferry to holly from hollyhead to dublin off anglesey and there's eu money put into upgrading this road um that made it all work really well so you would think that everybody would and would vote for it, but a lot of people voted to leave and um talking to people there apart from um some people who were just ideologically idiots <laughs> um mainly it was the protest vote they were it was both sides were so obviously lying um and one of those sides of the people who was lying was david cameron and there they traditionally don't like um the conservatives so they voted against it so how's the atmosphere between the countries in the UK that uh, voted for uh, leaving and those that voted against it, like the Scots and the Northern Irish? 
Well, I think the Scots. So the Scots are uh, <laughs> probably getting into trouble here. There's a, there's a you, know, you might think the Scots are being kind of smug about it, saying we were right all along, <laughs> but um, and and they were. Um, and I can't remember what the North, Northern Irish vote was. Were they well, majority they were leave or? I think they were remain. They were just, remain about, just yeah. right. Um, but the, you know, even with the Scots, which have you know, were, they say, oh, we had this massive strong result. It was still was relatively close, right? Was it still in the 50s, well, I think? Close to 60, no? 59 or something? Close to 60. Yeah, close to 60. You'd think by the way they talk, it's like, you know, yeah, 80 well, to 20, like right? <laughs> but no one, you know, but nobody, you know, and, and fair play, I would be crowing about it too. Um, but, you know, it, it, it really, even there where, you know, the rhetoric is that everybody knows quite how damaging it was. For, you know, more than 40% of the people voted Ooh. to leave. It was crazy for Scotland. Right, um, so uh, you know those things still have to be addressed. There is, um, you know, I, I, yeah, it, it it is very surprising, and obviously in Northern Ireland, which you know vastly damaging for them, yeah. um, it was very very close, which is which is again is crazy. Um, so I don't know. I don't think people are looking. At it. I think people are just looking around, going, you know, austerity keeps going on. Um, people's are getting, you know, overall poorer and people just want, I think a lot of people just want something to happen because they're, they're tired of it. Well, there's a lot of talk again now about another Scottish independence referendum, right? In light of the Brexit result. Yeah. But I think that, I, th- I thought the smart money is that they're not going to go for it because all the polling shows that they would lose because mm. people are a bit fed up of referenda. <laughs> Um, and I think that that quite rightly they're sort of saying, look, you know, this is not the time. And I think they should be kind of worried because, you know, there's, you know, of, of the forty percent of people who voted to leave, would certainly vote to to stay in the UK, right? Um, so you know they've got must. I don't know. I can't imagine doing the polling on that, but it's an odd situation. Maybe we can take a quick poll still between ourselves. Uh, what do you think, um, even if it was actually no Brexit uh, after a second referendum or whatever might be the outcome, do you think there's been some unrepairable damage already done to to Britain, the British science, and we came from the science perspective, right? Um, is, it, is it actually too late and, and we have already kind of done a lot of damage here? Uh, I mean, I, I, I don't know. I don't think so. I don't think so. Um, you know, I guess, uh, you know, I, I, it's hard for me and the, the political stuff because I lived through, you know, Thatcher and deregulation and, and killing kind of quite a lot of the, the things that I believed in and the main institution survived. Whether it's done a disservice to British science, I, I don't know. I don't know. You you probably got a better thing on that. I don't think. Yeah. Well, okay. I brought up. I I mean, I personally think uh, for me it will be a long time to recover if if I I were to, and uh, some colleagues I'm talking to here in Sussex, and they can be livid about this. They can be absolutely angry, and I don't think they'll calm down anytime soon. Mm-hmm. So if there is a job opening somewhere else in the eu let's say um i think people will still leave okay. even if it's no brexit 
Yeah, I think I think that might well happen. I think this is the main problem that I can see is that it's even if all of these horrible things don't go through, it's now we've raised our hand and said, you know, this is what we think of Europe, this is what we think of outsiders. And I think in science, one of the best things is that it's international, it's cooperative and communicative and it's all of the things opposite to what Brexit represents, I think. And yeah, even if it's not enforcing any different policies, I think the, the imprint that this leaves is is going to remain. Yeah. But then there's time. I mean, time will heal all wounds. Uh, I, I suspect if it's long enough, it will be forgotten. But <laughs> until then, there's some real damage that has been done. Yeah. The only hope, being the eternal optimist, is that it literally that it does actually um, animate the youth vote to to do something, you know. Because if people really came out, um, there could be, you know, it could. That's the only way to really change the political landscape in this country, um, which could. And then, yeah, and then with some luck, maybe it's also a wake up call for the EU to work a bit harder to make their structures a bit more democratic and, and convincing. Because something we haven't touched on is that there, there was some real criticism you know, about the structures of the EU not being fully democratic, and that was correct. There was no reason to, to vote to, to do Brexit, but, um, but there is a, 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 like a little bit of truth in that. And if it was to wake up the EU and, and fix that, that would be a good thing too. I would like to know whether you feel like the reputation of the UK has suffered in Germany. I think so. I mean, I th as you say, it's so prominent in the media, even here, or especially here. And it's, I think every day that I come into the lab, someone is commenting about something they heard on the news. And, you know, what's going on? What, what does this mean? What does this mean? It, it's so prominent in the mindset that, I mean... Of course, it's shaping opinions. I think it's mostly negative at the moment, but there's some, um, as we mentioned, there's some sparks of light. And I think if we can find the way out, I think we'll be we'll be fine. <laughs> I think there's, you know, Europe is on our side. I think that's the big misconception at home is that everyone else is out for themselves as much as we seemingly are. And I think that's completely wrong. I think Europe and especially Germany from what I've heard, is very supportive and wants us to do well. We're going down, but the fat lady's not singing yet. So it sounds like, on the funding side, the British government will ensure the continuation of EU-funded projects in the UK, at least for the two-year transition period. A possible long-term solution would be the Swiss model. Switzerland contributes to the scientific funding in the EU financially, And in exchange, Swiss labs can apply for EU funding programs. On the side of the free movement problem, there is a little bit more of a hassle. A lot of bureaucracy is going into this. While nothing may change regarding simple travel, moving between the UK and EU to work and live is much more complicated. The strongest impact, however, is social. The uncertainty of Brexit makes people reluctant to move to the UK to study or to do research. And it seems to have had affected the ability of UK labs to successfully apply for EU grants negatively for years. 
But it's not just funding and bureaucracy that deters students and researchers from moving to the UK. While surely many reasons have led to the outcome of the Brexit referendum, it did embolden xenophobia in the UK. Besides the chaotic political situation, this in particular has damaged the reputation of the British people. Maybe a silver lining for the EU is that the Brexit example may have deterred other countries from seriously considering to leave the European Union. This may give the European Union a chance to instead work on its reputation of being a barely democratic institution that mostly panders to the elites. I think everybody in this conversation agrees that leaving the European Union is a bad decision that was made under questionable circumstances. And we all hope that the best solution for both UK and the rest of the EU can be found. Okay, so thank you everybody uh, for this conversation. Very informative. Good to know from you. And it was, yeah, it's great well, to talk to you all. Well, and, thank um, you very much. Yeah, hopefully see you guys soon. Cheers. Thank you. Bye-bye. Cheers. Yep. Bye-bye. Have a good night. Bye. See you soon. Bye. For the summary and further readings, find the show notes to this episode on www.scienceforprogress.eu. If you have questions, critique or suggestions, get in contact by email info at scienceforprogress.eu or on social media at scienceforprogress for Twitter and Facebook. Science for Progress is free and accessible. However, in order to keep going and continue to improve and grow, we need your help. You can find information on how to support us on our website, www.scienceforprogress.eu, if you follow the menu Supporters to Your Support. The best way to support us is through Patreon. We are halfway to financing our monthly expenses, and it would be an enormous relief to have that covered. Check out the perks on www.patreon.com slash My sincerest thanks to those who are already supporting us. Thanks for listening. Have a good day. Bye-bye. So, after you didn't give any presents to our anniversary, are we still going to have at least a Christmas episode? A Christmas episode? Yeah, I want a Christmas episode. You know, like where we do funny things and talk about poems about Christmas and stuff. Ugh. What? I hate I hate Christmas episodes. All these all these uh, holiday specials. I get really sick of them because everybody does them. Oh, I, I, oh come on! That's not true. This is horrible. Come on, a Christmas episode. Yeah. What are we going to do? Well, oh, like, like oh, jingle oh. shit, <laughs> man. That's a horrible idea. You need the jingle shit special. <laughs> jingle shit special. Exactly. Know, Claire knows what I'm talking about. Jingle shit special, man. It's my favorite special. <laughs> <laughs> it's like Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> Only with jingles and shit. <laughs> this is not going uh, to add like, so you owe me and Susan presents. You could at least come up with a Christmas episode. Yeah, no, that's not going to happen. What? Nope.